This is Queen Victoria. You are entering the Murder Lab, the podcast where I don't just discuss one serial killer. I discuss several serial killers and something they have in common. The last episode was the last of a five-part series of the titular Murder Lab series, where I discussed several serial killers that had buildings or rooms set aside for their murder labs. In the next episode, I will actually go through and compare and contrast those people that I covered, you know, what they had in common and what they didn't and so on and so forth. But this episode is a fun size episode, so it's a little bit different. I'm going to talk about serial killers in the movies and TV, a specific TV show, and when it is annoying and when it's not. So to get into it, it's specifically depictions of specific serial killers and known serial killers and whether they use that serial killer's identity on the movie or in the movie and not just movies that have happened to be about serial killers. So it's serial killers based on actual real serial killers. I will start off by pointing out that I have not been super interested in serial killers until recently. I've always been interested in horror and thriller movies. So since I was a kid, I've always been interested in watching those. And I'll watch a variety of types of them. But I had not really gone out of my way to specifically watch a movie because it was about a serial killer. That developed more recently. I have been interested in cults. And at one point in high school, there was I was, I was actually very shy. And I hardly spoke to anyone. I had just moved um, the middle of my junior year. We had moved, so I was super shy because I didn't know anyone. And so I I happened to have checked out a book about Jim Jones. A boy that I had a crush on saw me reading it, and he was like, why are you filling your brain with that kind of thing? So I was ashamed, and I took the book back to the library. And that kind of pisses me off. And at that point in time, a part of me knew I should not let anyone dictate what I should or should not be interested in because that is a very personal choice. I mean, you can always listen to arguments, I suppose. But the, the fact of the matter was, I thought he was cute. I had a crush on him. So I didn't want to do anything that, that would, he would find unappealing, which is just frustrating. But anyway, so I have always been interested in that. So I would have more likely sought out movies like that when I was younger. Fast forward to now. So over the past couple years, I've gotten more interested in serial killers I didn't expect to be this interested in serial killers, but it has definitely changed the way I look at things and the way that I choose things to watch or read. I still do the thing where I like to flip through Amazon Prime or Hulu or Netflix and just kind of see what movies are available out there. Of course, Shudder. We have Shudder. So I have the habit of just kind of flipping around. And a lot of times it's just, just to see what's out there. And I... I do like to give things a chance. So I've watched a lot of shit, but I have gotten a little more selective about about what I watch. So if I start something in the first like 10 minutes or depending how terrible it is, maybe five minutes or less. But if I start watching it and it's just not doing it for me, then I will turn it off because, you know, I do have my time is valuable to me, especially now that I have the podcast and everything and I've got lots of research to do and I've got the band and work and everything. So I'm not as likely to sit through an hour, an hour and a half of shit as I would have been in the past. But I am willing to give things a chance if they look interesting at all to me. I've come upon some really interesting movies that way. So one day I was looking through, I think it was on Hulu, if I remember correctly, I found The Clove Hitch Killer, 
And it looked interesting. It had a Dylan McDermott in it, and I like him. So... Well, okay, I'll give this a chance. So it's basically, if you're not familiar, it's about this teenage boy who um, there's a, the Clove Hitch killers in, in their town and no one knows who it is. And he starts kind of unraveling it and um, he discovers, I'm just, it's a spoiler, just so you know, he discovers it's, it, it's his dad. My experience while watching it quickly became one of confusion and anger. Because I started recognizing some things happening. Like, um, in the movie, the dude's a minister. And there's an organiza- organization like the Boy Scouts, which it looks like um, it's a religious organization. I can't remember what they were called. And they show him dressing in women's clothing, taking pictures of himself wearing a mask. Now, if none of this is sounding kind of familiar, this is pretty much Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. So while he was not a minister, he was involved, heavily involved in church. He was a Boy Scout leader. He did take pictures of himself in women's clothing with a mask very similar to that one. So I'm getting kind of pissed. Like, this is basically Dennis Rader. So if you're going to do it, just commit to it. Just do a film about Dennis Rader as a BTK killer. Because that's an interesting story in and of itself. So it was kind of, it kind of felt like they were ripping off his life just not using his name. Although, again, they did tweak some details, which, I mean, I guess that's okay, but it still makes it feel, like, even lamer. Like, you know, to just twist and turn a few things and then just say, oh, this is a new story. In its defense, it was pretty interesting. They, It wasn't note for note the BTK killer. There were some changes, um, and in real life, the son didn't figure out that BTK was... His father, he actually, BTK had a daughter. I I believe he didn't have any other kids, but so the the kid didn't figure it out. I still enjoyed the movie and I tried to set aside my personal opinions on the subject matter. And when I was researching for this, I was like, you know, I'm I'm just going to check and see what the director says about the connection with BTK and why he did that. It was interesting because I found... Most most of what I found at first were reviews, and most of the reviews were just like, yeah, this is a pretty good movie. No one mentioned anything about any connection to BTK. So I'm like, I know that I'm not crazy. Like, I know that these facts, you know, that, that these things are lining up this way. And I'm not just reading into it because I'm obsessed with serial killers now or whatever. I did find one reviewer that said, if you are a fan of serial killer information, not necessarily a fan of serial killers, I don't like to say that, um... But if you are interested in serial killers and you have, you know, information about them, you will get pissed off at this movie. So it was interesting to see someone else who was kind of pissed off about it. They were pissed off for, um, like, uh, I think theirs was more focused on technology that they had some of the, um, they had shifted it in time from to, to be like in the 90s or the 2000s instead of, you know, like in the 70s or whatever. So they were kind of pissed at the use of technology At any rate, they did state that the reason the director did it is to tell the point of view from the story of the son. And so the reason that they wouldn't have done the Dennis Rader story is because that's not how the Dennis Rader story happened. So they saw the Dennis Rader story and they basically thought, well, what would happen if they had a son and the son started to put these pieces together? And if at that point it's not really matching up with the original story then, you know, you you can take some things from the original story and then now you've made it your own. And from that point of view, I can, I can see where he was going for, what he was going for, 
And I do think it's, like I said, I still enjoyed the movie, um, even through my moments of annoyance. And I, I don't know. I do also just really like Dylan McDermott, so that helped, I'm sure. But it was still, a, and the teenager in it, he was good too. The teenagers weren't annoying, which sometimes that's a fear of mine being an older person now. And I did actually find an, an interview with the director, and the director basically said that same thing, is that he thought that this, you know, he wouldn't come right out and say the BTK killer, uh, but it was obvious, and the person who wrote the article was like, well, it's obvious that it's BTK. So he did say, well, I saw this story, and I thought it was interesting, but I wanted to tell a story from the perspective of the son. So I'm a little more willing to be accepting and open-minded about it, because he was trying to do something creative. He wasn't trying to make money off of something that someone did and just not use their information. Around the same period of time, I watched the movie The Sacrament. Again, this was a case where I was flipping through the channels. Again, this was probably on Amazon, Amazon Prime. And I found The Sacrament. And I believe that it said that Eli Roth was involved with it somehow. I don't think he directed it, but I think he was affiliated with it. And, you know, he's, he's made some good stuff. So I was like, okay, let's give this a chance. So as I'm watching it, I have, again, that feeling of, okay, I recognize this, I recognize this, I recognize that. This is totally Jim Jones and the People's Temple. And again, I started getting super irritated because other than, there are some details that were a little different, like um, it's basically these guys go to this place out in uh, the jungle where there was a cult that had set up. I think uh, one of the guy's sister, I think his sister was there. So they were going to try to do a report on it and um, they had cameras and everything. So that that's a little different than what happened in real life. But the rest of it was, it was the freaking Jim Jones story. So I was getting irritated and it didn't even, they, of course, it, he poisons the Kool-Aid. And if you're a nerd, you know that it was actually flavor aid. I can't remember what they actually made it in the movie, but... Uh, and then the ending wasn't even, wasn't even as good. So my thought is, they didn't really add much to it to make it theirs. If anything, it was worse because the real story is interesting enough that it was kind of, you know, there was an element of, well, I already know what happens. And the element of the ending's not as interesting. I don't know. It just... In this case, it was not good enough for me to be able to look past. So it led me to wonder... Why does it irritate me in some cases and not in others? Because a good example is, you know, the first thing that popped in my head was, well, Silence of the Lambs had something to do with real serial killers. As you probably know, Buffalo Bill, and I believe I mentioned it before, I mentioned it in the Heidnik episode, which was the first part, I believe, of the Murder Lab series. Buffalo Bill was based on Gary Heidnik, Ted Bundy, and Ed Gein. So the Gary Heidnik thing, if you missed that episode of mine, um, he actually dug a little pit in his basement. Now, it wasn't as deep. It was like a freaking well in Buffalo Bill's place. Uh, Gary Heidnick just, it was a small one. But that was kind of based on that. Heidnick actually had dogs too, by the way, which I don't know if that was based, if they based Buffalo Bill's dog on that or if that was just uh, something else. Ted Bundy used to put on a cast and ask girls for help, just like Buffalo Bill did in the movie. And then, of course, the um, stitching skin together to make clothes, that was off of Ed Gein. He had like a mammary vest of human skin and a nipple belt and things like that. But as I already kind of hit on by talking about the Clove Hitch Killer, is as I've thought about this, I think the reason that I like, that I'm okay with Buffalo Bill being based on a few different serial killers, 
and them taking it in the own dire- their own direction and and not being annoyed that they just took these bits and pieces and you know like ripped off three serial killers instead of doing something creative is he made his own character based on them yeah he had a few traits that were similar to these serial killers but he was definitely very much his own being so i think he made a a very interesting and creative character the actor was very engaging and a quick side note it blew my mind <laughs> When I watched Evolution by the uh, dude that did Ghostbusters, when I was watching that and I realized that the general guy was Buffalo Bill, it blew my mind. Like, you cannot tell by looking at him. It's the same guy. It's his voice. I was like, that voice is so familiar. And then I realized it's Buffalo Bill. So side note, it is crazy how much he has changed with that voice. It's that voice. It gets you. Anyway, so... So just kind of uh, going along with that idea is, is, is I think the, the bottom line is what's interesting to me is if they can take it and make it their own without, you know, making it feel like they're stealing or doing something shady or whatever. Uh, now, I did look into Hannibal because I had heard that he was based on a serial killer. From what I could find is I found a couple articles where the director had said, or uh, Thomas Harris, sorry, the writer because it was a book first. He had said at one point that he had met a doctor, a surgeon that was in jail for killing people. And he had spoken to the surgeon and the surgeon is the basis. It's the way that he, you know, said things in this even voice and, you know, like some of his mannerisms and things like that. I believe in one article he called him Salazar, but then later... It was revealed, I guess, that the surgeon's real name was Alfredo Bali Trevino. I do know that in real life, Robert Keppel, with the FBI, was on the um, the Green River Killer case, and they were having a hard time figuring out who could be doing it. So they actually went to Ted Bundy, who was in prison, to try to get his thoughts on you know, more or less profiling, I guess, um, what he think, who he thinks it could be, or give them some idea of the thought process and. Maybe see if there's any way that it can help them look at something different in the investigation and, and find something new that will lead them to finding the Green River Killer. So if that sounds familiar, that is definitely in Hannibal, where the FBI is trying to find Buffalo Bill, so they go talk to Hannibal. So that's just a little tidbit there. I guess it's, it's consulting someone in prison to try to find a serial killer. Now, this also led me to start thinking about other movies that I've seen that had some kind of basis on a serial killer. And of course, one was Psycho that popped in my head, which was based on Ed Gein loosely. Uh, So Ed Gein is like Gary Heidnick. They can only prove that they killed two people, two women, but it's likely there were others. And if they could have gone on, they it is very likely they would have kept killing. But it's it's a lot of it. Their notoriety is based on the extremity the extremeness the extremity the extremeness of their actions so ed gein while he only technically killed two people and it usually is three or more with the periods of cooling off in between is the official definition ed gein was known because one like i mentioned this clothing that he made out of skin two is his love for his mama so when the fbi went to his house they found a room sealed off They expected to see just horrible, horrible things behind the door because, you know, God only knows he had, you know, fucking like skeleton skull ashtrays and bowls and shit. So who knows what they're going to find in that room? It was his mom's room 
kept pristine and exactly the way she had left it when she died. So that love for mommy was part of the basis of Psycho. Now, I will admit that I was not into serial killers when I first saw this movie. I didn't really know much about Ed Gein at the time. I think I saw it when I was a teenager, probably pretty young. And it's a classic, you know. So um, so I always grew up appreciating it for the brilliant directing and, you know, all, all the reasons it's a classic. I've, I've always enjoyed it. Now, again, I think that he made the story his own and he didn't try to take everything out of Ed Gein's life and and just make a movie about Ed Gein without ever saying Ed Gein. He did his own thing with it. So I like that. I don't mind if it's like they took a seed, the seed of an idea, and then used it to grow their own plant. Of course, uh, another Ed Gein movie um, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This was another movie that I saw when I was younger. I think I was probably older. Like, I don't remember if I was probably like 15 or 16. I really don't remember. But... I don't think I was like 12 or 13 when I saw it, whereas with Psycho, it's possible. But this Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I also appreciated that for what it was and just how horrifying it was and interesting. And again, I didn't really know much about Ed Gein at that point, so I wouldn't have seen it through that lens. So that maybe that that might affect, I suppose that could affect it a little bit. But again, it wasn't like they took Ed Gein's life and made it a movie and just took out the name. They created characters that were very much their own thing. And, and you know, Leatherface, the idea was, you know, he stitched people's faces and wore them, which again, that's basically Ed Gein. And the grave robbing at the very beginning of the movie, Ed Gein was also known for his grave robbing. So there were some nods to it that I think actually made it kind of interesting. So, so I don't feel ripped off. I don't feel like that they took Ed Gein's life and just kind of used it for their own stupid purposes or lame purposes I don't know and, and maybe I guess another thing is it could be possible I could I'd be more pissed off if they did something stupid with it if I didn't like the movie then maybe that would have something to do with it but since it was so well done I liked that they kind of subtly put in the grave robbing and you know kind of build it up from there I'm not really uh, going to go into too much detail about each of these movies I'm either if I'm like movies like Silence of the Lambs I think it's not too presumptuous to think that you've probably seen them if you're listening to this podcast. If you're interested in serial killers and shit, I'm sure that you've seen Silence of the Lambs. Psycho, I'm assuming you've seen. If you have not, just go see it. And uh, side note, I did not care for the Psycho remake because it was just the same movie, only in color and different actors. And that annoyed me because I feel like if you're going to do a remake, add something to it. Because I can just watch the original. The original's fine. The original is great. My first thought was, well, maybe they wanted to bring a new generation to appreciate Psycho that might not have the patience or interest in sitting through a black and white movie. But my argument is, if they can't appreciate, then fuck them. I don't know. It's a good movie the way it is. Why change it to try to get more audience? I don't know. Although maybe I'm being a little too hard on people. It's nothing against Vince Vaughn. I think... uh, I don't know. It was fine. It had good actors in it. But to me, it just felt like I could just be watching the original. And why am I doing this? You know? <laughs> so I don't know. That was my personal opinion. So and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm going to assume you've seen that. If you have not, I'm not going to tell you take the time to tell you about it. You just need to watch it because it's great. 
And even the even the sequels, which some of them are just absolutely terrible, like the one with Matthew McConaughey and uh, what is it, Renee Zellweger? Oh, it's terrible. But like, I think the second one is actually kind of fun. I really like the second one with the chick at the radio station and Dennis Hopper. And it's uh, there's definitely nods to that movie in some of Rob Zombie stuff in House of a Thousand Corpses. That's a whole other thing. I'm getting off on a tangent. I apologize. I get excited. I'm not going to assume that you've seen Monster because it's not as much of a cult classic or a popular movie as the other ones. But at the time that Monster came out, I had heard of Eileen Warnos. I didn't really know much about her. And I don't remember why we went to see it. It surprises me a little that we went to see it because in general, I know that it's hard to believe because I'm doing a true crime podcast. (laughs) But in the past, I've never really wanted to just go see a movie that might traumatize me. My thought was, life is fucked up enough. Why do I need to add things to it that might make me feel more fucked up? However, I have made exceptions to that before. And even just in, in books that I read, I'd never really read nonfiction before. Although I will say, an example of one of my exceptions in literature is I went through a period of time where I loved Thomas Hardy. He did like Tess of the Durbervilles. And uh, God, he was so depressing. I mean, and it's almost to the point in some of them where I think, is it Jude the Obscure? Where it just gets ridiculous how terrible things get for the character. So that was a period in time when I was in college that I got into that. But anyway, um, one that has lasted through time is of Mice and Men. I read of Mice and Men and it breaks my heart and I cry, but it's so good. And I'm like, I'm never going to read this again. But then I'm like, oh God, but it's so good. It's been a few years. I should read it again. So I've read it several times, even though I keep saying, oh, you know, it's like devastating, but it's so good. So I can also appreciate that sometimes it's worth seeing something that's a little emo- emotionally wrenching. As as bad as it can make you feel, it also makes you feel other stuff. <laughs> that was my deepest thing I've ever said. It makes you feel other stuff. It can make you feel alive. It can awaken you to something that you didn't realize. So sometimes I think that it is worth going through something emotionally wrenching to be cathartic, I guess. But for the most part, if I see a movie that looks like it might be somewhat devastating, I will tend to stay away from it unless the subject matter is so interesting to me that I think that it could be worth it or it looks so good that it might be worth seeing. So Monster is one of those movies that looked like it was just going to be depressing and a big downer. And I was right. But we went to see it. At that point, I just knew that she had killed some dudes. That's pretty much all that I really knew about her. So from what I remember of the movie, it was very sympathetic towards her. And it showed how she constantly was trying to better herself. But no one would help her. So I remember feeling feeling for her and being like, well, shit, you know, like she's just been given the runaround and put through all this shit. And, you know, it's no in a way it's no wonder that she turned to this life and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But over the past year or so, when I've been reading about serial killers and I've read things about her, it seems like um, like maybe she didn't have it quite as rough as all that or that she that she played up a lot of like because she had claimed that like all of the people that she had killed had tried to rape her. And then later she basically retracted that and just went crazy and had crazy things that she was saying and so I don't know is from what I've the things that I've read they seem less sympathetic so I'm really not sure um and I you know I should I need to do more reading on it and 
you know, different sources in like encyclopedias and shit where they have like a paragraph to talk about a serial killer. Of course, it's easier to be like, well, they did this, this and this. And then you don't really go into motivations or anything like that. So it, it could be a case of that or it could be a case where it's easier to talk about how terrible the person was and to base it on that and not to talk about, well, but they also had these things going on that maybe make, you know, maybe people don't want to have that empathy in there for a serial killer because they did terrible things. So I'm not really sure. I don't know that I want to go back and watch that movie again. There was, there was a rape scene and I remember just squirming and wanting to leave and being very upset because I, I can't handle it. Not like I'm, I don't know. I would say that I don't think that there are people that everyone enjoys or anyone enjoys rape scenes, but I don't think that's true. I think there are people that do enjoy it or else they, you know, wouldn't exist. Um, plus like all these exploitation movies in the seventies and shit where it's like biker gangs go through and rape everyone. And I don't get that personally. Anyway, so I, I have trouble watching rape scenes, whether it's men or women. I honestly, I have trouble making it through Pulp Fiction because of the gimp scene. So I haven't watched that movie as many times. I fast forwarded through a couple times, a couple times because it just bothers me so much. But uh, so again, I try not to limit myself on things, but there are some things that are just beyond my capacity. So, and I don't know, maybe someday I'll watch it again with my lens of knowing more about serial killers and seeing what I think about it that way or knowing more specifically about her case and see what it's like. But I would be interested if, if anybody has seen that movie, what your thoughts are on it versus, you know, whether it fairly depicted things or if it was more like a rose-colored lens or not. So, um, yeah, I'd be happy to hear what you think about that. A movie that I saw because it was about a serial killer was Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. I will mention a little bit about this movie because I, I don't know if it's, it seems like it's fairly well known, especially if you are interested in serial killers. But just in case you hadn't come upon it yet, it's from 1986. It has Michael Rooker, Tracy Arnold, Tom Towles, and other people. Michael Rooker, I mean, honestly, it's worth it just to watch for Michael Rooker because he's amazing. Although I think the first thing I ever saw Michael Rooker in was Mallrats. So once you've seen him with the chocolate-covered pretzels, it is kind of hard to unsee. Although, he is such a good actor that it's easier than you would expect to get over it. So he's phenomenal. Tom Towles is good as Otis. Basically, the movie's loosely, loosely, loosely based on Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool. And it's, it's confusing. It's spelled O-T-T-I-S. So I want to say Otis... Last podcast, podcast on the left, guys, say Otis. True Crime Garage dudes called him Otis. But when I looked it up, it seems like he's called Otis. So I don't know. It's Otis or Otis. So I'm just going to say whatever the hell comes out of my mouth and you'll know what I'm talking about because it's either Otis or Otis and I'm not going to call him Bob or Henry because that would be confusing. So just roll with me on this. Uh, so it's loosely based on Henry Lucas and Otis Tool and the shit that they went through. Now... This is a case where it very, very definitely goes away from factual happenings. One of the reasons that it doesn't bother me as much is because, number one, some of it, it's hard to tell what the truth was with, with those two because they made so many claims and recanted so many things, it's hard to tell what they actually did and did not do. There are some things that are commonly agreed upon that they did do, and the movie didn't really stick with those. 
But my argument why I'm okay with that is because I think the movie did a good job at catcher, capturing the spirit of Henry and Otis. It's chilling and disturbing. I've actually watched it twice. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know if I could watch it again. And not because it was bad, but because it was just gritty and it definitely made you feel disgusting. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, this probably isn't a big endorsement to make you watch it, but I think that's how it should feel for this specific thing is you should feel the things that the movie led you to feel. So I think in that case, the director did a very good job. I watched it a second time because Joe Bob Briggs had it on one of his movie marathons. So I was like, well, I'll go ahead and watch it again. And Todd hadn't seen it. So um, I thought it'd be interesting for him to see. He doesn't always get into those kind of movies, but I'm not sorry that I watched it again. It is a good movie. I just, it's one of those movies that mm, I have to be in the right state of mind to watch. I would recommend it. Just keep in mind, it, it is not, don't watch it like it's a documentary. Watch it for the emotional take on it. Recently, Todd happened upon the Summer of Sam on sale, and I had never seen it. So we gave it a watch the other night. Since I knew it was a movie based on David Berkowitz, The Son of Sam, when we were trying to decide what we wanted to watch, I suggested watching that because I knew I was going to do this podcast. So I thought, well, it's another thing that I can mention. Todd pointed out, because on the cover it says SOS, and then it says Summer of Sam Smaller. So, you know, Son of Sam would be SOS. So, And you know it's about Son of Sam. So you might be inclined to think, oh, it's about David Berkowitz. But Todd pointed out, since it's called Summer of Sam, he's like, I don't know if it's as much about David Berkowitz as it is about the impact that he had on the society around him. So I think that that helped me going into it. If I would have expected to see David Berkowitz and more, then I probably would have been disappointed. But going into it, I knew kind of what to expect. So I was like, okay, you know, that makes sense. And and talking to Todd before we even watched it, I don't want to make light of what David Berkowitz did. But in the grand scheme of things, what he did is some of his victims, he just randomly shot. Some of them were brunette women. But I mean, when when it comes to the actual killings, of course, it's terrible that he went up and shot random people, of course. But in serial killer land, that's not as gruesome and interesting as making nipple belts or digging a hole in your basement to shove women in. You know, it's not it's not as glamorous, I guess, is the I don't know if that's the best word, but what made David Berkowitz interesting was the whole writing letter saying that this dog told me to kill. You know, that that was really what made his story a little more interesting. But then later, I guess, he even recanted that. So then it just turned into, okay, so it's some dude who pretended to be crazy that just went around shooting people. So the actual guy and what he did, while it's interesting in the grand scheme of serial killers, it's not as interesting. So for me, what is really interesting is the effect that it had on society around him, on how they dealt with what was happening. Because to everyone... It was basically some dude's just going around shooting people. And it's terrifying because he's apparently doing it at random. They have no clues as to who it is. So obviously it fucked with everyone. Women were dyeing their hair blonde because he was seemed to be targeting brunettes. It, it changed the way that they went out. You know, people didn't want to go out to the clubs anymore. People were afraid to go outside. 
I think that's interesting. So that's part of the reason that I was intrigued by the movie. I will admit, most of the movie to me seemed like it was just John Leguizamo getting laid, which I found kind of annoying. Like, I don't have a problem with sex in movies, but it just felt like it was, I don't know if it was gratuitous, but I was just like, oh my God, he's getting laid again. Oh, and now he's feeling guilty about it. And oh, wait, I look back up. Oh, he's getting laid again. I don't know. To me, it just felt like it was a bit much. But I do think what the movie did well is it did show how society started to shift and how it affected people in their social situations and groups of people. And there are several groups in the movie that, you know, took it upon themselves to try to figure out who the killer was. So I think it did that well. I have to admit, and again, this is going to be a spoiler a little bit. I didn't understand why some of why Adrian Brody's character was doing some of the fucked up shit he was doing. And I, I, that sounds that sounds more judgmental than I, I meant it to sound. But it, it was it did seem kind of out of nowhere based on what was happening and what we knew of the character. You know, it was like I'd look up and all of a sudden he was dancing half naked with a doll in front of men, and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, wait a second. This isn't, you know, they, it felt like it came out of nowhere with that character because we knew him to be a straight male and while well, he was into punk rock and he was affecting a English accent in, you know, New York, it just seemed a little abrupt. And then they showed him like having sex with men for money. And I'm like, I don't understand what is going on here. Like, what does that have to do with anything? But then it turns out at the end of the movie that those hidden behaviors makes him, makes his friends suspicious of him. So then I was kind of like, you know, I did the aha and realized, okay, so the the director was actually building up to something with this. So I, you know, it wasn't as, I mean, I admit it was kind of amusing to be like, what the fuck is happening now? <laughs> like what? But, uh, but it did end up making sense. And I do think that there, some of it seemed a little uneven and, uh, I wasn't always in love with the choices made, but, but Overall, I think that it was pretty solid. Again, I think that since it was set out to be about the summer of Sam and not about the son of Sam, I mean, they barely even really showed him or acknowledged him very much at all. I think that it was it was worth the watch. It was all right. It was. I, I understand what they were trying to do. Another movie that I watched because I knew it was about a serial killer was Citizen X. I hadn't heard of it before. I hadn't even really heard of the serial killer before that it was based on. Andre Chikatilo. He is one of the most interesting cases that I have happened upon. I would dare say that he's possibly the first serial killer that lit up my brain in a different way. And I'll, and I'll explain because I know that I don't know, it might sounds we sound weird. Just a quick synopsis. Andre Chik Chikatilo was killing children and it was mostly younger people, but... He was a little more of an indiscriminate killer, but he was killing during the time of communist Russia. So what's interesting about that is that, number one, they did not want to admit that there could be such a thing as a serial killer in Russia at that time, because that was an American thing. So they were willing to turn a blind eye on these deaths that obviously looked similar. And then, so basically that allowed it to continue. The second thing is, Andre Chikatilo was actually interviewed a few times. He was not interviewed, but he was a suspect a few times. And, um, and he got away when they found out he was a member of the Communist Party. Because obviously a member of the Communist Party couldn't do anything despicable. So they were like, it's, it would be scandalous to even begin to think that. So he was let go. So the reason he was able to continue as long as he did 
is because they were looking the other way. So that, just the idea of that blew my mind. And the only time that he was finally caught was after the fall of the communist empire there. So to me, that just, that's when I first really started thinking about like social and government and, you know, the, the other implications other than just the direct actions of the serial killer with a victim that like kind of opened up a whole new area. So I think with Andre Chikatilo, it was really interesting to read about the implications of all of that and what went into, anyway, now I'm rambling again. So I watched Citizen X. So I had, I had just read about Andre Chikatilo. So I went into the movie knowing some things and I don't, it was one of those cases where not everything lined up perfectly. And I believe that they did a thing where instead of having like these groups of people, they had one person represent groups of people, which is it's told from the eyes of a detective on the case. But again, I think the spirit was there. And I think it hit all the highlights that it needed to hit to get across why the story is compelling. So I appreciated the movie. And I don't remember getting pissed off over specific details that they got wrong or they didn't include. Overall, I was satisfied with it. And um, honestly, I'll probably watch it again. There was a period of time when I was actively looking for suggestions of movies to watch. Some of these I got through books like, um, there was a series of books called Video Hound. And it was a catalog of like all the movies that exist. And you could look up these movies and they, they gave it, you know, like two out of five bones or four out of five bones or five out of five bones. And then gave you a synopsis and said who the main actors were and the director and when it came out and all that. So my dad always got that. And they had one where they suggested, I think it was like cult classics or horror movies or science fiction or something. So I had that book and then I found some other books suggesting horror, um, cult movies to watch and that kind of thing. So I, I still have them. I still have several books. And I literally like went through the books and, you know, read through and... You know, sometimes if it said that they said it wasn't very good, but I thought it seemed interesting, I might still watch it. Because again, I don't just let people tell me what to think now. I will make decisions for myself. So I, I happened upon a lot more movies that way that I might not have previously. One of the movies that I happened upon that way was called M. And I did know it was based on this serial killer, Peter Curtin. At that point, I really didn't know anything more than that. I just knew Peter Curtin. You know, and that supposedly he was a serial killer. I didn't really look too much into it at the time. It's a movie by Fritz Lang. It's black and white. It has Peter Lorre. And I do love Peter Lorre. I've watched quite a few of his movies. I really enjoy him. So obviously the first time that, that I saw it, I didn't really know details. So I, I couldn't get upset if they got a detail wrong because I didn't know that they got a detail wrong. It is a very interesting movie. It's, I believe it's from 1931. I think um, what specifically interesting is at the end of the movie basically he's gone through and he's killing children he gets caught and there's a mob of people and he gives this speech about he doesn't understand his compulsions that he just it just happens and it's it just takes him over and it basically like it horrifies him and he doesn't know how to stop he doesn't know what he's doing so that is very interesting especially i would think during the 1930s when maybe it's not as popular to try to be empathetic with a figure like that. So it's very interesting that they actually tried to delve into the psychology a little bit and make you think a little harder about, well, is this guy just evil? You know, and just the thought that there are, there are grays and it's not just black and white. 
Ah, <laughs> like the movie. Uh, so it, it is a very, I went back and watched it later. I still don't know that I knew a lot more about Peter Curtin when I watched it again. And I still think it's a really good movie. And I, now that I know some more about Peter Curtin, I'll have to go back and watch it and, and just see. Because I think sometimes if a movie is good, even if they leave a few things out, if it gets the spirit of it, then I think that's the part that matters. If you're looking at it as a documentary, then that's obviously a problem. I think if they get the gist of it right and they've stayed true to the spirit, then I think that's a part that matters most. And then I think it's just on you if you're interested and you want to know the quote-unquote truth that you can just do more research and find out for sure for yourself. And then you've got a well-rounded out idea. I didn't realize until I started this podcast that a movie that I loved as a kid, or since I was a kid, was actually loosely based on a serial killer. My very first podcast, I cover Amy Archer Gillian. And when I was reading about her, that's where I discovered that when it came out that she had been supposedly doing these murders. So she's a woman who has um, a home for the elderly and she's killing the patients. There was a guy who wrote a play called Arsenic and Old Lace about two older aunts who bring in boarders and kill them out of compassion, they think. They think that they're being compassionate. So that surprised me because, okay, number one, it is very, very, very loosely based. So really the only thing in common is female and a house where people are brought in. So it's not like, you know, it's very, very, very loosely based. So I was a little surprised to hear that it was based on her because it didn't seem similar enough. Um, I think there might have been something about, I think in Amy's family, there was a history of mental disorders. So in the movie, the aunts have a brother that thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt. So that's another loose, very loose thing. I, you know, not where they took their own liberties. So in, in this case, I'm not upset because there's nothing to really be upset about. They took this little tiny detail and blew it into their own own world and their own story. If you're not familiar with Arsenic and Old Lace, I really recommend you watching it. It's I've loved it again. Like I said, I've loved it since I was a kid. I do have a personal connection with it where, if you don't know, I'm a minister's daughter and my last name's Harper. So in the movie, there's a woman who's a minister's daughter and her name is last name is Harper. So that was kind of a weird coincidence that we always got a kick out of. It's, it's really, really good. It's got Cary Grant and Peter Lorre is actually in it. So they take... It, they take the situation where his Cary Grant's characters, his aunts, he goes to visit his aunts and he discovers that they are poisoning these gentlemen that they take into their home because they're homeless or whatever, they're down their luck. And they, they feel like they're doing a service to them by killing them. So he's horrified to discover his sweet little aunts are doing this and they seem to not really understand what the problem is. Um, and then there's an added dimension where his brother that has been locked up in jail breaks out and comes to the house with his assistant, Peter Laurie. And then, you know, that adds to the, the whole drama of the... And, and But there's really funny moments, and it's in black and white, but watch it. It's really good. That's pretty much all that I'm going to cover as far as movies. 
I know that there are a bunch more, but I didn't really want to hit on every single one. And, and it may be a thing where I do another fun size episode where I talk more specifically about other serial killer movies and if it annoyed me or not, or, you know, maybe just talk about the movies. And I will have guests on. I am very interested to see what you guys think. If you if there are movies about serial killers that drove you crazy because you knew that they were wrong about certain details or if they did it in such a way that you thought it was really well handled, or if you disagree with me on whether I should be angry or not, I would love to hear it. I'm always uh, interested in hearing other opinions because if I wind up being wrong, then that's okay. I, you know, I want to learn. So feel free to email me at murderlabmedia at gmail.com with your thoughts or movie suggestions, whatever. Or you can go to the Facebook page and make comments on there. I might start a conversation on there that you can just add on to if you'd like. Or you can even Instagram me. Whatever you want to do. Before I end the episode, I am going to go over American Horror Story. Because as soon as I started thinking of serial killers in movies, my mind immediately went to American Horror Story because they've had... I think they pretty much mentioned some kind of serial killer or true crime in like every single season. Usually a couple times. I admit that... Sometimes I'm not in love with the writing. Sometimes they will say something and I'm like, oh my God, are you fucking serious? And that was lame. So sometimes I'm like, what the hell is going on here? But for the most part, I think they keep it interesting enough and entertaining enough that I want to keep coming back. So I have seen every season up to Apocalypse. I have not seen 1984 yet because I don't have regular cable. I have to wait till it comes out on streaming on Netflix or Hulu, which is exciting because now it's on both. But I've actually watched every season twice. I've watched Freak Show three times. So basically, I'm going to go through each season just real fast. It won't take, I won't go into like super ultra details. But but I was trying to apply the the same thought as to, well, when they brought this up, did it annoy me when it happened? Or was I okay with it? For the most part, the first time that I watched every season, I didn't really know a lot much about the serial killers. And then the second time when I went through, I had more knowledge. So that kind of, it was interesting to see it from both sides. So I'll kind of go through just real fast a little bit about that. As far as serial killers in the first season, Murder House, the first time I watched it, I was not familiar with Richard Speck. So the scene with the guy going into the house with the nurses and killing them, I did not realize was based on anything. So obviously the first time I watched it, I was just like, okay, that's a thing that they're just having happen. The second time I watched it, I was like, oh, actually, I think it was um, I was reading about Richard Speck. And as soon as I saw the nurse murders, I was like, oh, my God, that's what they're talking about in Murder House. So in a way, that was kind of a fun moment to be able to connect, you know, to make a connection to something like that. A show that I enjoyed to see, oh, they they actually refer to that in the in the show. So at that point, I was like, oh, it's kind of cool that they did that. Now, when I went back and watched it again. It's not necessarily, I guess it didn't bother me as much that it didn't follow through to be exactly like how it happened in real life. And, you know, but I think that it was still interesting that they threw it in there and I wasn't really, I don't know, it didn't bug me a whole lot that they did that. I thought, well, it's kind of fun that they threw that in there. Tate Langdon in Murder House was a nod to Columbine. So in a way, I think when I had watched that, that was the first association I made was Columbine because that happened during my lifetime. So that's something that's, you know, in the back of my brain. And then plus, you know, of course, there's been numerous school shootings since then, unfortunately. Uh, because in Columbine, you know, there were two boys involved. 
And in Murder House, there was the one. And that didn't bother me because it didn't feel like they were trying to be Columbine. You know, they weren't trying to do it note for note. They did do some similarities to it. And um, so that didn't really bother me as much. Also in Murder House, it isn't necessarily serial killer related, but it is true crime related as they do throw in Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia murder. I don't really know enough about that to get too worked up. Um, I think it's interesting that they threw that in there and made it the one doctor guy that ended up being, you know, it did, um, it did kind of feel like a bit much if you saw the season, was it Apocalypse, where Jessica Lange's character had that boy toy and they ended up killing him and turning him into the male Black Dahlia. I don't know. Like, I thought that was kind of interesting, but it, I don't know. It just felt like maybe that was a bit much. But anyway, so moving forward on to the second season, Asylum. The obvious serial killer reference there is Bloody Face, which let me tell you, I'm sorry, but I think Bloody Face is a terrible, terrible name for a serial killer. The only way that it works is if you're thinking, I want a serial killer name where if kids turn off the lights and look in the bathroom mirror and they say the name three times, three times, you know, what's what's a good name? Bloody face, bloody face. So that, okay, that I can see. But like, other than that, I just, I don't like that name. And I specifically, one of those what the fuck moments for me was when Dylan McDermott, which again is kind of funny because he was the actor in Clove Hitch. He, he played the killer. So he was a serial killer in this one. He was son of bloody face. And when he said the words, I am son of bloody face, I had a moment like, oh my God, that was terrible. And I also had a moment where I was like, I don't know, that's pretty, pretty funny. So I had kind of a com- confused boner about that one. So son of bloody face. Uh, obviously that was, uh, that seemed to be a nod to Ed Gein again with stitching someone's face, skin together and making your own f- a face for you. Dr. Arden was basically based on Josef Mengele. He's a bad dude. I mean, I listened to the last podcast on the left. They did a series on him, and it's just horrifying. Just absolutely horrifying. So, again, I don't know how I feel about them throwing that in there. But I think it 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 did add an element to it. In case you did not know, Briarcliff in Asylum was based on Willowbrook, which is uh, the asylum that Geraldo actually busted. He busted it wide open. So there's a little more true crime that they threw in there for you. Also in Asylum, there was Grace, which is similar to Lizzie Borden killing her family with an axe. Something that isn't quite quite true crime, but is more UFO-based, is Kit and Alma Walker, in the show was based on Betty and Barney Hill. So in real life, Betty and Barney Hill in 1961 said that they were they were in a race couple and they said they were abducted by aliens. So they were controversial not just only because they were in interracial couple during the 60s, also because they claimed to have been abducted by aliens. So that is a very interesting case, which I did not know about that until I heard um, last podcast on the left talk about it. And that was another case where I was like, oh shit, that's in American Horror Story. That must be Kit and Alma Walker. So that was another moment that I made that connection. Season three, Coven, the X-Man of New Orleans. So I'm sure that you probably all have, if you're into serial killers, 
you've heard of the X-Men in New Orleans. Now, they did definitely take liberties with that one, partially because no one really knows who the X-Men of New Orleans was. The main thing that they got right, which is the most, one of the most compelling things, is that he did, he sent a note to the paper saying that he was going to kill anyone who was not listening to jazz on the specific night, at starting at a specific time. So people hired bands to come play. People would go to a place where there were bands or they'd play jazz records. So that that did happen. There's a whole lot more to the Axeman case. And it's one of those things that's a little frustrating about how, how many details there are and how um, all over the place it feels when you're reading about it because there were several people killed and they're trying to figure out if it was a mafia thing and I don't know. I'll probably you – know, I'll cover that sometime. And if you're not familiar, then, you know, look into it. It is, it is interesting. I just get a little irritated by cases with no closure or that have lots of open ends like the Zodiac and things like that. That's my personal problem that <laughs> I have trouble with lots of loose ends. Just to throw out there, Delphine Lulerie and – Marie Laveau. And I apologize, I do that thing where every once in a while you say something with an accent and then you might sound kind of like a douche. But I did take French in high school and some Spanish, so it slips out sometimes. But Delphine and Marie were on a first name basis. They were based on real characters. So I don't know enough about them. I had never heard of Delphine until American Horror Story. So I didn't really have a personal opinion when I watched the show. Marie Laveau, I had heard of, but I didn't know a lot of details. So I, you know, I didn't really have a personal opinion on how they used the characters. I think that it was interesting in how they used them. I don't know. It would be interesting to hear if people knew a lot about those characters in real life, those people in real life. And if they had an opinion on how they were depicted in the show, that would be interesting to find. So if you have a strong opinion on how American Horror Story handled Marie Laveau and Daphine Lulerie, then let me know. Season four, the obvious thing would be Twisty was was based on Gacy. Really, the only thing that's similar was uh, where he just was a clown. Twisty, I'm going to admit, I'm not exaggerating, but every time, the first time I watched it, every time he would come on screen, I would literally be like, Jesus Christ! Like, it just, it made me jump every time. He is so disconcerting. It is so upsetting to see him that even when I watch it the second and third times, it's still, it was hard to get used to him. He's just terrifying. I personally don't like what they did with this storyline where they tried to explain it. I think that he was scarier when you didn't know what the motivation was. In some ways, I get that it should be scarier that he didn't understand that what he was doing was wrong, that by killing those children, he thought he was saving them. So that had a level of being terrifying. I still think it was scarier before. I think if we didn't know what the fuck was up with him, that would be more interesting personally. That's the main serial killer reference in that season. Of course, Dandy ends up going crazy and killing a bunch of people. So, um, so there's that. One of the true crime things that I didn't know until I started looking up more American Horror Story information is Jimmy Darling's character, the lobster boy, was based on Grady Franklin Stiles Jr. And apparently Grady Franklin Stiles Jr. actually did kill someone. So that's kind of a, another interesting little tidbit they threw in there. Now we're on to season five. Season five was full of serial killer shit. The first time I watched Hotel, I only knew a little bit about serial killers. So I didn't completely get... I don't remember completely getting that James Patrick March was based on H.H. H. Holmes. I think that I had kind of heard something about someone who had owned a hotel that did 
fucked up shit with it. So I kind of had some idea maybe that that was based on someone, but I didn't really know. Of course, I knew that Eileen Warnos, Richard Ramirez, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, and the Zodiac. Of course, I knew I knew of all those people. I didn't really know necessarily lots of details about them, except, I mean, Dahmer happened when I was older. So when I went back and watched it after I knew about H.H. Holmes, and I knew a little bit more about the serial killers in general, it was interesting to see how it was handled. It's very obvious James Patrick March is based on H.H. H. Holmes, but just very loosely. And I think what makes that okay is that they made him his own character. And even though they did have some things that he had in common with H.H. H. Holmes, he definitely had his own personality. So to me, I, I don't know, I enjoyed that. I did think it was interesting that they brought up the whole... On Halloween, you know, the veil is thin, so the serial killers, the dead can walk amongst us, you know, for that short time. So I thought it was interesting. They had Eileen Warnos, Ramirez, Gacy, Dahmer, and Zodiac all actually themselves in in the show. And then there was kind of that Texas Chainsaw Massacre moment where they're all sitting around the table with one horrified person. And I think the actors did a really good job. They acted the way that it seemed like the real people would have acted. So I enjoyed their performances. I admit that the first time I watched it, spoiler alert if you haven't, of course if you're not interested in American Horror Story and you haven't watched this far, I don't know that you'll listen this far, but when they make the main guy the serial killer that's doing stuff, I was kind of like, it seemed kind of predictable or a bit much. I don't know. It just seemed like, for some reason I was, I didn't love it at the time. It's kind of like with season two. I felt like when I was first watching season two, it felt like they were trying to do too much with the the Nazi stuff, the aliens, the demon possession. It just felt like there was a lot going on. But the second time I watched it, I was, I don't know if it's because I was used to it and I knew it, but it didn't bother me as much. Something that bothers me every time is that fucking banana song. I don't like the banana fana faux fana number. I don't mind some of the other musical things, but that's a whole other thing. In Hotel... When I went back and watched it again, it didn't bother bother me as much that he was the serial killer. I did, I was actually kind of looking to see how good they were about there maybe being um, traces or clues that maybe I had missed the first time I watched it. I do think it's interesting that they had James Patrick March trying to find someone and groom them and take them under his wing to continue his work. I did think that was kind of interesting. Something you may or may not know, the Hotel Cortez was based on a real hotel that exists, Hotel Cecil. I don't think it goes by that name anymore. You may know it if you are a true crime fan. You may know it from the infamous Elisa Lamb. So basically this woman goes to the hotel and is staying there where she's 19. She winds up disappearing and they find her in the water tank dead and people had been drinking the water for days. Another thing that makes that case famous is her odd activity on an elevator preceding her disappearance. I just listened to a True Crime Garage episode on her, and that whole case is very interesting. I would highly recommend listening to that if you're interested at all. And they they do go into more about the Hotel Cecil and how um, some of the weird things that happened there, like uh, suicides and... I think something someone threw a baby out a window if I remember right but I would definitely recommend listening to that something else that's interesting is Richard Ramirez and lesser known serial killer Jack Unterweger they both actually stayed in the Cecil Hotel at some point now I don't know if it was necessarily during the murders 
But that's still interesting that two serial killers wound up staying at that hotel. A couple other things in hotel. When Miss Evers, the cleaning lady, they have the scene where they flash back to her losing her son. She discovers that he was part of the Wineville Chicken Coop murders. Now that intrigued me because I thought that I had heard something about that being real. I'm actually going to cover that in the next series that I'm doing. It'll be about families that murder together. So some of the details, they don't really, it's only a few minutes of the show, so they don't really cover much at all. It wasn't 100% accurate as to the true thing, the true story, but the gist was there was a chicken farm where the boys were killed. So that, as far as that's, that's true. So as far as the details, I will go over them in the next series. And then The Countess is based on Elizabeth Bathory, who's one of the first known serial killers. And there's all kinds of rumors and shit about her. Um, she's another one where it's, it's a little hard to tell how much of that is true and how much of that is lore. But it is definitely an interesting character. Season six, the only reference that I could think of was Miranda and Brid Bridget Jane. So in the show... They are nurses that are sisters that live in the house and they turn it into a home assisted living home. Then they decide that they want to kill people whose names spell out murder. So they kill someone whose last name starts with M and then they kill someone whose last name starts with U, that kind of thing. And then um, they paint it on the wall. Now, I thought that I had heard something about that the first time I watched it. But by the second time, I knew for certain it was based on Gwendolyn Graham and Catherine Wood. They were actually lovers. They were nurses, and they did kill people in their nursing home they worked at. They did kill them based on the letters of their name to smell to spell murder. They actually got tired of that, and then they just started killing. So some differences there, but the the main gist is there. I don't know why... They made them sisters and not lovers because, I don't know, because obviously they're not shy about having lesbians on the show, you know. Um, so I don't really know that decision, but um, at any rate, that's who that was based on. In season seven, Cult, the people that put on clown masks to kill, apparently they were based on the smiley face murders. And I don't really know a whole lot about that, so I don't know enough to get pissed off about it or not. But um, there you go. Now, something about cult that did irritate me. So as I said earlier in Hotel, when they meet the serial killers, have their dinner, the Zodiac is there. And it's one person wearing the Zodiac costume. In cult, they say that the Zodiac was not one person. It was a group of women that called themselves scum. Scum stands for the Society for Cutting Up Men. So it started with the women, this group of women decide to start killing couples to warn women about being with men. And then there was an imposter, a man claiming to be the Zodiac, and he killed a person and was basically a copycat and started getting the attention. So that was kind of their way of saying that that's how the Zodiac actually was. I kind of feel like if in season seven you say that the Zodiac was a group of women and then in season five you had already shown that zodiac was one person it kind of feels like you're not sticking with your own script then again i guess i i do i don't know if admire is a strong word but i do appreciate that they tried to come up with this different theory that 
no one had really presented before. And it's an interesting idea if that's what had really happened. I personally wasn't completely on board with it. It kind of irritated me, that whole storyline. Even the second time I watched it, I was still kind of like, I don't know. It's interesting, regardless. Thinking back through all of these references in American Horror Story, whether it's serial killer or true crime, my final decision <laughs> is that I like that they take real-life things and interject it into the show. And even if it's not completely factual, I think that that's why I get so intrigued and I stick with watching the show, is even though there are moments that maybe I don't love. I believe by introducing things from real life, it helps suck you into the show and you feel like it could be a thing. So while there's some things that happen that maybe you would think aren't as likely to happen, the fact that they bring in things that have happened reinforce the validity of the entire story. So if you have elements where you know for a fact someone has gone and shot up a school, you know for a fact that someone has done medical testing on unwilling people, you know for a fact that someone was breaking into people's houses and killing them. And you know that there were nurses that were killing people based on the, their last name. So you have these things that you know have happened and that even if they sound outlandish, you know that it happened. And even with the Benny and Barney Hill thing, if you're leery that it really happened or not, you still know that there were people living that were actual people that claimed that it happened. So you can still say, oh, well, I, I, you know, I know about that information. So to me, that seems like that could have happened. So then you're sucked more into the show based on these fictional characters that had a similar experience. And even if you think it's bullshit, just knowing that someone in real life claimed it, it still gives you that point of reference based in quote-unquote reality. So I think that even though some of the facts may not line up, again, it's about the spirit of it. It's about what are they going for? And since they're not going for this is a documentary about shit that really happened, if they're going for we're creating this world and we're going to inject things from the real world into this to make this world seem more real. So I think that's why I like that they, you know, dropped in a reference to Richard Speck. I like that they dropped in the X-Man in New Orleans and H.H. Holmes. And I like that they throw in those little bits and pieces because I think that that helps interweave the story and make the, you know, uh, the non-fictional parts as interesting as the fictional parts. And it, it makes them seem less, more intertwined and less obvious and, you know, again, if you don't even know that it really happened, I guess that <laughs> that's a, a case against that is if you don't even know that it was a real thing. But there's enough in there that I think the common person would know. Like, like maybe you wouldn't specifically know Richard Speck, but you would know about Columbine, most likely. You would know about, you probably know about the Axeman. You might not know about the Wineville Chicken Coop murder specifically, but you know who... Jeffrey Dahmer is. So I think that there's still enough that the average person would know from pop culture or from their own life experience that that would still hold true to them. So my final assessment is, for me personally, in movies or TV, if I get the spirit of what they're trying to do, and if they're trying to do it, and it's not a documentary, it's not like they've taken a book, changed a few of the words, changed a few of the names and then said it was their own thing. That bothers me more. So if they're going to do something original with it that stays in the spirit, that seems to be okay with me. So again, 
If you have contrary opinions, if you disagree with me, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I'm human. I can't think of everything at all times. So maybe you see it from a different perspective and then maybe I'll say, oh, okay, well, I can kind of see why they, for example, actually, now that it pops in my brain, a filmmaker friend of mine, I was speaking to kind of about this. Well, I was speaking to about this and he said, sometimes if someone is making a movie or doing something publicly, they don't want to say a name in case some of the details aren't true. So they don't risk getting sued. So maybe they'll change some details to try to protect that person just in case or protect themselves just in case not all the details are true. So I can kind of see, you know, where where that's coming from. I will do follow-ups on this. I will have, I am going to interview some filmmaker friends of mine and kind of get their take on it. I'll interview other people and just see what they think about the situation. So we'll delve more into this. And, and if you would like to share your opinion, we can uh, bring that in there too. And so I'd love to hear it. I will list on murderlabmedia.com some of the references that I used. I will do a link to where the director of The Clove Hitch Killer says his opinions about why he did his movie the way that he did it. Um, the article about Hannibal Lecter. And then um, a couple of the articles that talk about the true stories behind American Horror Story. I'll post those. And then uh, I'll mention the list of movies that I mentioned and... And again, please let me know if you have any other movie suggestions or, you know, if you want to hear episodes where we talk about the movie specifically, I'd love to hear it. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a fun size episode. I do appreciate you checking this out and spreading the word. The next episode will be me comparing and contrasting the serial killers that I covered in the Murder Lab series. So that'll come out the next Murder Lab Monday. And then after that, I'll start um, a series on families that kill together. I'm not sure how many parts that'll be. So we will find out together. You can check out Murder Lab on iTunes, Google Play, and the RSS feed is listed at murderlabmedia.com, where you can also go to listen and download the episodes there. Thank you for entering the lab.